0: I do not like alabaster statues to this day. Don't like them. Won't look at them. (laughs) Welcome to Replaying Favorites. It's the spooky podcast where... Two friends watch movies that the other one hasn't seen. I'm Brie Callahan.
1: I'm Chris Kelly.
0: <laughs> I couldn't even hold it for that long. That's, that <laughs> was a very silly intro as always. But what isn't silly is the movie that we're going to watch this week in advance of Halloween, and that is 1963's The Haunting. Chris, what do you
1: know about The Haunting? Honestly, until you clarified what movie it was, I was certain that you had assigned me The Others starring Nicole Kidman. Oh,
0: that's much better than what I thought, which is that you thought that I had assigned you like the 1990s or early 2000s version with Liam Neeson, Catherine Zeta-Jones, and uh, Lily Taylor, I think.
1: I do remember that that is a movie now that you have said it. (laughs) I haven't seen either version. I especially would not watch the latter version. (gasps)
0: Okay, so it's from 1999, and the fourth person in it, because this is a four-parter, is Owen Wilson, so I would have never assigned that to you.
1: Oof. I have higher hopes for the 60s version.
0: It is much, much better. I will say that Russ Hamblin is in the Owen Wilson role and brings a similar, laconic, kind of easygoing uh, vibe to the role that he maybe didn't bring to West Side Story as...
1: Are there any, like, jazz eight counts in this film?
0: (laughs) No, but there is a lot of terror and sort of screaming. I don't really want to say a lot more, and I hope that you won't research much more. It might be a good opportunity, if you have time after, to read the short story that it's based on. Again, The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. You definitely don't have to. I can see by your face that you won't.
1: I'm just more comfortable with a jazz eight count.
0: (laughs) Well, what I told you last week is that we are both Freddy Cats and that this is my favorite scary movie because while I am terrified watching it every time, there's no gore, there's no ghosts, there's no gross body horror or anything like that. There's just the creeping sense of dread that good camera angles can bring.
1: Look, I assigned you the Silence of the Lambs, so I think you're okay giving me
0: this. (laughs) That's fine. All right, well, look, I don't want to over-anticipate or under-anticipate your level of terror, so let's just go watch The Haunting, and we'll be back after the break. See you then. Welcome back from the break. We have just watched 1963's The Haunting, which follows four paranormal researchers of sorts exploring the evil hill house. Dr. Markway, Richard Johnson, brings two women, troubled Eleanor, Julie Harris, and psychic Theo, Claire Bloom, alongside the rakish nephew of the owner, Luke, Russ Tamblin. Following a series of nighttime hauntings, Eleanor feels increasingly drawn to the house and mentally unstable, and she is eventually taken over, becoming yet another person claimed by Hill House. The haunting was directed by Robert Wise from a screenplay by Nelson Gidding, which is based on The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. In addition to the stars that I already listed, I would like to give give a special shout-out to Rosalie Crutchley as Mrs. Dudley, who runs away with this movie. It cost $1.05 million. It brought in only $1.02 million. However, its popularity has increased across the years, with both Martin Scorsese and Steven Spielberg considering it one of the scariest, most influential horror movies ever made. But who cares about those two? Chris, what did you think
1: of The Haunting? Listen, I do not carry the pedigree of either of those two. I am borderline offended that you thought that I would be frightened by this. This was (gasps) one of the dullest movies that I have ever watched.
0: Chris Kelly, how dare you? I'm so mad. But secondly, (laughs) I think part of this movie, and I guess I would say a lot of horror movies is like, I watched this as a teenager on a television with like 15 other teenagers and like that kind of infectious energy Makes some of the horror happen, even if it is a little stilted sometimes from our point of view, maybe in 2021.
1: You just weren't scared? I tried. I took your advice. I watched it alone at night. It was long and boring. I think what this movie establishes is that the two scariest things in the 1960s were loud noises and lesbians. Yes, that is true. <laughs> and those are two things that I feel very comfortable with. I won't go someplace that doesn't have loud noises and lesbians.
0: <laughs> I'm really bummed, actually. I love this movie. As we always talk about, watching it critically is one of the worst things you can do because you start to like think about the way the movie's constructed. Though in this case, I think that actually in some scenes makes the movie more interesting.
1: Yeah, I agree that, especially for a horror movie, you don't want to distance yourself too much. And that is a technique, when I do watch horror movies and I do find myself getting frightened, I'm like, they're just actors, it's just a film. Picture the camera, picture the crew. So, like, thinking in terms of construction definitely didn't help. But I also don't think that I would have been really drawn in by this anyway. I just think most of the horror comes from loud music over shots of an empty house.
0: But there's always something in the back of the shot. Every time Eleanor spins around, there's like another cherub or the horrible statue of Crane. What about the door getting pushed in?
1: I thought the bulging door was the most interesting effect that they employed, and I could see how something like that is the precursor to, say, a Freddy Krueger pushing through the wall— It was interesting and unexpected. There was never any sense of what anyone was afraid of other than the house is bad.
0: Yeah, that's what they say right at the top.
1: Some houses are born bad and this is one of them. So that's the thing. I think for me, if the house itself is bad, then there's not a thing trying to get in to them. They're already in the house. Like, it's as bad as it can be. It's not like, There's an evil entity in the house. There's a monster in the house. There's a murderer in the house. It's just the concept of the house.
0: I started to say, and we know that the entity, but I think it's by the end of the movie supposed to be entities that like the house is sort of collecting souls and that they in turn then haunt because we know that at least one entity can get into the room without any problems because someone is holding Eleanor's hand and it's not Theo.
1: We do have that moment, but again... No one ever really takes the time to revisit that. I think that's another issue is that people are, for researchers, wildly uncurious about what is happening. Like, at night, there are horrible banging noises and we are all concerned. And then breakfast comes and we are just (laughs) chatting about nothing. No one is like, hey, remember that form I asked you to fill out? Maybe we could at least go over that. Like, there are no theories put forth as to what's happening. There are no questions asked. No one cares.
0: An interesting thing is that the screenwriter was more interested in Eleanor's psyche than Shirley Jackson was. Like, I guess originally they had it written that, like, there was nothing wrong with the house, that this was all just in Eleanor's mind because, you know, they were like looking into Jackson's text and like taking that away from it. And then they went and talked to Shirley Jackson and she's like, no, no, it is a haunted house. (laughs) So
1: they had to retool. See, that's interesting because as I was watching it, my initial thought was very much, Eleanor has been lured into a situation and it will be revealed that the other three characters are intentionally trying to drive her mad, Mm. that everything will be explained away as, you know, they open the door the first time, and the two men are there like, oh, we were um, chasing a dog. And I'm like, no, you were walking up and down the halls banging, and you told Theo that she had to make her scared. And then they find that chalk writing, and she's like, one of you did this. And I'm like, yes, one of them did it. And it's going to turn out that there was a reason they had to drive her insane because she had some secret inheritance that one of them was going to get or some shit. They're just had to be something else going on. It couldn't simply be that we were going to wait and hear more loud noises. But then it was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there are some parts of it that are super cheesy. Actually, you talking about the chalk in the hallway brings up one of my favorite lines and line readings in it, which is Rust Hamlin eating the psychic chalk, touching it and being like, it's chalk. And then Dr. Markway does the same thing. He's like, or oh, something like chalk.
1: Yes, <laughs> and no <laughs> further questions, Your Honor. Like, we both <laughs> lick the wall and then just decide that we're going to move on.
0: <laughs> all right, well, let's step back and just start from the beginning. So we start with Dr. Markway giving kind of an opening spiel about the house, which then is mirrored by Eleanor's closing monologue, which is very similar. The opening is a little cheesy by modern standards, and it takes way too long to get going, I think also by modern standards. I'm going to guess by the rolling of your eyes that you're doing, you agree?
1: I have a note (laughs) because there's a moment after the very long intro that doesn't end up mattering that much, where we cut then to Markway saying, all my life I've been looking for a haunted house and I'm like, oh, this is where the movie should have started.
0: Yeah, and I think your comment earlier about the house being the problem and that there are not entities that are the problem does tap into something because they keep talking about the nursery being the horrible heart of the house. And I'm like, well, why is it Abigail's fault? Like all she did was like suffer. I don't it doesn't seem like she was bad. And then it's clear that the library is also a terrible place. And that's where a suicide occurred of the caretaker. So it just seems like the house itself is obsessed with death. But then Mrs. Crane doesn't even die in the house and Mr. Crane appears to escape. So it's really weird to me like why it's on these two women, specifically the caretaker and Abigail, when Mr. Crane seems to have been the bad guy.
1: Yeah, I just didn't ever get a sense that there was a cohesive theory behind it. Like, it was more interesting to make individual scary moments Mm -hmm. than it was to have a sort of unifying theory of what's going on.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. It's been a few years since I've read The Haunting of Hill House, and I can't remember if Jackson has more of a through line on what has made the house bad. I know that they cut down a bunch of characters and other stuff, but as usual, we haven't really done the research that
1: would be required to draw parallels between the book and the film, but here we are. Speaking of cutting down characters, we have Dr. Markway, who has chosen, I don't know, a random assortment of three other people He has never met Eleanor. He, I guess, read a news article about her, sent her a letter to which she did not respond. She just (laughs) shows up at the house. I'm not super sure that he has actually ever met Theo before, though maybe they have a better relationship. The rest of the list of names on his chalkboard is never explained. He does say that other people didn't show up and he just moves forward anyway, but... This is a real slapdash experiment as experiments go.
0: Especially because one of them is the nephew of the owner. I like that lady a lot. She gives a lot of really bananas line readings. She's tasked with a lot of exposition. And some of the acting is real clunky, but it's always real funny. And I like her a lot.
1: She is definitely an older woman with a lot of personality that someone was like, she'll do. (laughs) Like, I bet you she's fun at a party.
0: Absolutely. And to her point where she's like, so Dr. Markway, are you a married man? And he's like, yes. And she's like, so are there going to be women at this house? And he's like, oh, yes, but like lots of other people. But without Luke, his final plan was for this married man to just hang out with these two unmarried young women.
1: To be fair, one of them is a lesbian. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Overall, this movie is extremely, extremely horny, and it's so strange.
1: They are very horny for Eleanor, who doesn't give the kind of unhinged that would be fun to have sex with if I had to take a read on it. Like, I don't have a lot of sex with women, as many of you may have picked up, but if there were a dude behaving like her in a bar, I wouldn't be like... Oh, yes, let's zero in on that energy. <laughs> I haven't had a lot of sex with women, either, but Eleanor
0: definitely cries before, during, and after sex
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> This movie is either one of the first or one of only among a handful that actually depicted a lesbian character an explicitly lesbian character this early in, you know, Hollywood filmmaking. And the character is noted for not being predatory. Thea was mean, but I guess that earlier representations of women that were explicitly gay were that they were, like, preying on straight young women and trying to, like, turn them. So, like, this was actually considered a, like, benevolent interpretation on a lesbian.
1: It didn't go nearly as badly as I expected, I'll give them that. And I was impressed that I was like, oh, I know for sure that she's queer. I mean, there was a lot of hinting, they didn't outright say it, but there was... So much hinting that it was essentially part of the text. The most explicit reference is, unfortunately, that Eleanor calls her God's mistake or something like that.
0: Nature's mistake. Oh, it's awful. I was of two minds to give you a shout out about that just because, like, it's kind of a terrible line. I had forgotten nature's mistakes. I remembered unnatural things, which is also bad. But nature's mistakes is pretty fucking rough.
1: I mean, it's an interesting thing because I think that's also a line that if one were absolutely pressed on it, you could defend like, oh, she's talking about her being a psychic.
0: Yes, that's right.
1: There is something interesting in how even in that moment, it's very clearly done to not say lesbian or gay or what have you, Mm -hmm. but like she shows up to breakfast in black pants, and we all knew. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that the
0: censors at the time would not let them say the word lesbian. And in fact, the censors told them like, all right, you can have this gay woman, but she can't ever touch the straight woman. And they just totally ignored that, apparently, because they're always like hugging and touching and holding hands. And like, Eleanor falls asleep in her lap. And like, they're in the bed together. Like, I So I do think that the movie was attempting to portray a lesbian character in, like, a good light. I mean, she's a big fucking bitch, but, like,
1: you know, every, everyone's a bitch. Yeah, I was really impressed at the consistency with which the film was, like, these two women have to sleep in the same room all the time. Yes, Eleanor has, like, misgivings about that at times, but it's never put as, like, this is the worst thing that could happen, or she is unsafe because of this. In fact, she's often safer for having someone in the room with her, even if she's one of those horrible gays.
0: (laughs) Congratulations, 1963, I guess.
1: I'll take what I can get from 1963. I also did like the subtle ways that Theo's psychicness was worked into the script. Like She's always right. There's a scene early on where Markway's like, which door? And she's like, that one. And he disagrees with her and walks into a broom closet and then like goes through the door she picked. And he's like, oh, yeah, that was the right one. It's like, yeah, she's the psychic idiot.
0: Yeah, I have to say watching it as an adult, I find Theo's sort of random nitpicking of Eleanor that I think is supposed to be jealousy, but doesn't always read that way. And that might be Bloom's problem, maybe more than the script's problem. But as a teen, I just thought Theo was the coolest girl on earth.
1: I mean, there's something about being so aloof and also being able to zero in on somebody else's insecurities. Like she has a real power of knowing like, oh, that's the thing you're worried about today. Allow me to point it out in front of everyone. Like,
0: yeah, she's like the ultimate mean girl.
1: (laughs) I can't imagine that if I had that power, I would always use it for good. So I really can't judge her.
0: And she really does sometimes use it to help Eleanor. Like, oh, hey, I know you're thinking about changing your hair. Like, here'd be a good idea. And also sometimes, like, it's not my fault you think you killed your mother. Ouch.
1: <laughs> oh, boy. Again, lot of highs and lows with Theo. She is not written <laughs> as a consistent character.
0: And none of them really are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Luke is probably written the most consistently. Quick shout out for Russ Tamblin, who I adore. Like, Apparently, he was under contract to whatever studio made this movie, and he read the script and was like, I'm not feeling it. This guy's a jerk. Like, I don't want to play the part. And they were like, okay, well, we will sue you. And he was like, okay. And, <laughs> um, and he said subsequently that this was one of his favorite roles in his career. So
1: it worked out. Oh, I'm glad. Because yeah, he doesn't seem like the kind of character that you'd think you would like. And I found myself, in spite of it, just really liking him throughout. Part of it is that everyone else is a monster, so he gets <laughs> off easy.
0: <laughs> I mean, you can't be mad at a guy whose introductory line is, what, too much
1: vermouth? Hey, he made enough martini for everybody, which was very considerate.
0: It is very considerate. He does also clock Theo not being into men, which is a ballsy move on his part, when he just tries to grab her by her body, and she's like, get your fucking hands off me. And he's like, oh, I'm a lesbian.
1: I mean... <laughs> I have some bad news for Luke about how most women react to that kind of interaction. Like, he must think that he has met a lot of lesbians in his life. He's like, wow, everyone's gay these days. It's like, no, sir, you have a wandering hand and no one wants to deal with your bullshit. <laughs> oh, these, these 60s are really swinging. <laughs> how did I manage to wander into another lesbian bar? Like-
0: <laughs> it is interesting that Luke shows absolutely no interest in Eleanor. I don't know that they ever speak directly.
1: He must say something to her. I don't have this script to or anything, but like there's only four of them there.
0: <laughs> I just don't think they ever directly interact. All right. Well, next time I watch this movie, which will be, you know, reasonably soon, I will report back.
1: This is a very specific version of the Bechtel test.
0: <laughs> do does Amber Tamblin's dad and a different lady talk in a movie?
1: <laughs> Almost no movies pass it.
0: Does he ever talk to Maria? Who knows?
1: <laughs>
0: we do need to talk about the plot of this movie, and I think we also need to start talking about Eleanor and what happens to her at the house. While at the beginning it seems like a lot of wasted downtime, you do get Eleanor at home with the worst family in America.
1: Oh, I was really uncomfortable with the amount of talking down to her that was being done. Everyone's just like, oh, I don't know if we can allow you, you adult woman, to do these things. And I'm like, I'm sorry. It sounds like she was taking care of your dying mom until a bit ago. For 11 years! She was able to handle that. I think she can drive a car somewhere.
0: There is just something so pathetic about... A woman asking her brother-in-law if she can use her own car. Even the little girl sucks ass. Like, I guess it's nice that the whole family is just shown as being like absolute monsters. I feel like 11 years of being like a primary caregiver for like what sounds like a difficult woman probably would have been enough. I might have dialed down the family a little bit.
1: It was another moment of we don't really need all of this. It was a very slow start to the film. And like, Mm -hmm. we should have cut a lot of that. I also had real problems with the fact that this started with Markway's voiceover and then transferred to Eleanor's voiceover. We should only have one character be a narrator and it should be Eleanor.
0: Yeah, except I feel reasonably confident that the screenplay probably started from the idea that like... Markway starts the film and then Eleanor ends it because she's now part of the house. I might have kept it as like a neutral third party narrator, like someone who can give us that information without necessarily being the voiceover, because I think you're right.
1: I just felt certain that Markway would be the protagonist. So this transfer to Eleanor, I was like, who is this lady that we're like spending a lot of time with? And then it also set me the expectation that we would have a similar reveal for the other participants. Like... We've introduced Markway, we've introduced Eleanor, then we're going to cut to a different scene of, say, Theo getting a letter and having to get there. It was a jumbled start overall for me.
0: Yeah, I think that's right, but I also don't think that Eleanor just turning up to the gates of this house and seeing it look like an evil house, because the house does look kind of evil, but I don't think that it would have had the same punch
1: Since there's so much wasted conversation in the house, more of the time in the house could have been Markway explaining some of the backstory that we got front-loaded. There's a lot of ways to work narrative into a story that's just how films are made. And this was just, like, all of the story first, and then the middle section was only weird jump scares. And then, like, the very end was like, hey, remember that plot?
0: (laughs) See... I like this movie because there's only really two jump scares and they're both Grace, Marquay's wife. I like the unseen source of dread and like that really works for me, but apparently your mileage differs.
1: I guess it just was that there's a lot of faith put in the fact that you will be afraid of shots of a house. Mm -hmm. And I just wasn't like we start this movie with a silhouette of the house and then it gradually like shows the house. And then when she gets to the gate, we just see the same set of shots again. I was like, I already watched the credits. I know what this fucking house looks like. (laughs) The louder music does not change my reaction. I am not afraid of architecture. You could contrast this to something like The Shining, where there are some bolder gorier shots but I think even in The Shining the parts that scare me the most are the sort of empty hotel I just think that this for whatever reason didn't create an atmosphere that scared me I just couldn't be bothered to care about this house
0: Hmm, that's interesting I think also for me the HD I was able to see the artifice of them like cutting the face into the wallpaper This time, more so than I did when I was a kid watching it on, like, you know, an old, like, tube television where it was a lot grainier. So that may also play partly into it. I don't know.
1: It could be that. I think for me, the horror just wasn't really grounded in characters and consequences. I think I wanted a stronger story all around. And I just sort of felt like I was watching random people listen to random things and. There was never any depth below that.
0: I guess this is a question of if your brain responds to the following, which is there's something on the other side of the door, and it's trying to get in, and you don't want to see what's on the other side of the door. And that's the kind of horror that I really respond to, I think, well, A, because I'm a to cab, but B, because like, I like this movie specifically because you never see a ghost. You know, they always say, like, oh, ladies, if you really want to please your man, don't take off all your clothes because what you can't see is the scariest. The scariest.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The most sexy. Leave it in. I absolutely will. I agree with you, though, in the sense that I look at something like paranormal activity... I slept with the lights on for a week after seeing that, and that is a movie very similar to this, in that you don't see the ghost, it's just two people in a house, it just built an atmosphere in a different way. I guess this just didn't feel real to me, it just felt like banging in a big house, and without anything behind it, I was just banging.
0: It's funny you say that because that is how they did it. So all the exteriors were filmed at this particular manor house. And then the crew, the sound effects crew, went through and spent a couple of weeks or something like making noises in that house. Then they would play the sounds during the scenes while the actors were acting them out so that they had something to respond to. Also interesting is that The set was built with ceilings intact. Usually sets are not built with ceilings, so you can get lights in, blah, 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 blah. And because we are trained not to think of sets as having ceilings functionally, like that sense of claustrophobia of having the ceilings there, like is supposed to also add to the tension of the film.
1: You know, the more we talk about it, the more I think that it is simply that I just needed a real villain. Mm. I just didn't get a sense of when they're looking at the door... What do they think is behind it?
0: Yeah, like, what is the threat there? Because if it's an old lady, we're probably good.
1: Yeah, but even then, at least I have an idea. Like, they think it's, you know, a person with a knife. They think that it is a spirit that will possess them. They don't know. They never ask. They never find out.
0: (laughs) That's true. All right, we've wandered again away from the plot. (laughs) And I do want to talk about the Dudleys because... They are two of my favorite characters. So Eleanor has now arrived at Hill House and she interacts with Dudley, the groundskeeper, who gives her a whole lot of business and she eventually gives a whole lot back. He came in
1: hot. I could (laughs) not for the life of me figured out why he just didn't want her to come to the house. Was he like this with everyone when they got there? My other favorite part about Dudley is
0: how randomly antagonistic he is to people from the city coming to the thing. He's like, oh, Back in the city, you're not ready for this. And it is kind of funny that Eleanor is so sheltered because she appears to live in the center of Boston.
1: A. How does Dudley know that? B. Do a lot of city folk drive up to this horrible house? I mean, maybe, and that would have been an interesting detail.
0: But at any rate... He lets her in. They yell at each other a little bit. She
1: also, like, says, I'm going to report you, but does not (laughs) specify to who, because what (laughs) governing body does she think that she will appeal to in this situation? She did want to speak to the manager, and there was no manager. (laughs) Which he knew. He's like, go ahead, try. Talk to my wife, see how far you get. Oh my God. Can we please talk about his wife?
0: Absolutely. Again, Mrs. Dudley, who in my original notes, I said, Dudley and his sister, and then wrote, whoops, sorry, his wife. (laughs) Mrs. Dudley is played by Rosalie Crutchley, who was a stage actor in England. She has it all. She has got... The face, the physique, she's such a striking woman, and she's got the hair, and she is styled to perfection, and the voice is so incredible.
1: I loved every millisecond of this performance. I wanted her to be the star of this movie. I (laughs) wanted her to be the villain at the end. I wanted everything for her. There was never enough of her.
0: Her the villain at the end really would have been something. Instead, we get a tremendous monologue that ends with, in the night in the dark, and an insane smile. Her giving that monologue while Theo and Nell are chattering, like
1: (laughs) again, is so perfect. I love them. I couldn't believe, I was like, oh my god, she's like a theme park host where she just has to do this every time someone stays at the house. The detail that she has a pre-written patter that she does with every guest specifically to fuck with them, like, In the night, in the dark, is not just information. That is definitely like, I am here to scare you. And she does it every time. And then a big ol' weird smile. (laughs) She did not do the smile the second time. As she closes the door in that second interaction, she is visibly angry that she was not allowed to go through uninterrupted. (laughs) This woman should have won awards for being the best actor in this movie by a comfortable margin.
0: Absolutely. She also has, on one of the mornings, she's also there and she's like, it's 10 o'clock. I'm cleaning up breakfast. And she's just, no one is paying any attention to her and she does not care and is just going about her contracted duties.
1: Another entry in the trend of my favorite performance is a woman who is fed up.
0: <laughs> so true. Ugh. I would also love to see a version of the movie where Mrs. Dudley is not the villain, but is instead just like turns up late at night and is like, this is some bullshit. And like all the haunting just stops. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: Like they can't compete with the power of her charisma. I love it. I mean, my guess is that she is team house at this point. She's like, (laughs) these assholes are not listening to me. I hope at least one of them gets haunted to death. Like she doesn't care. I hope one of them gets haunted
0: to death. (laughs) Oh, bless. I mean, justice for Mrs. Dudley. She was right. No one did come. Apparently, aside from that taxi driver who's more than happy to drop off Grace Markway later in the show, even though apparently no one from town will come any closer than that.
1: She injects something really different into the mix because everyone else is so addled by this point. And for her to come in and just be like, I am decisive. I am grounded. I am... Again, a little fed up, my goddamn favorite. (laughs) But she doesn't have any of, like, the woo-woo. She doesn't have any of the highs and lows. She's just, like, straight line down the middle, real grounded, lover to death. Gonna guess
0: she's changed her tune by the end of the film. I... Okay. (laughs) She's been in an attic for at least
1: 24 hours. Not that anyone cares.
0: (laughs) Oh my god. The absolute most insane part of the whole thing, is after Grace goes missing, Luke says something about trying to find her or something, or or not trying to find her, maybe. And Markway's like, no, 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 we got to find her. Otherwise, the police will be around fast enough. And then there's real trouble.
1: Sir, it's your wife. He never seems to particularly like her. He is not interested in her safety at any point. He's not like she might be hurt. And certainly, when Eleanor says she has seen her, he does not react with, (laughs) Oh, where? Let's go look there. He's like, whatever. My main concern is making sure that you're okay, woman that I am not married to. Like, whoa!
0: It does seem like, even if the circular stairway is not in great shape, that the platform is adhered to the wall. And maybe someone should go up into that attic and find that
1: bitch. I also want to say... I was so glad when I realized that there is a hatch to the attic at the end of that staircase because it seemed for a while like the staircase just led to a small one foot by one foot platform (laughs) next to a wall. And I was like, please tell me that I'm not supposed to be a afraid of this rickety ass staircase in the first place, but b that it doesn't go anywhere. Can you get books from it? Is that the point of it? No, it's not next to anything. There are no books along the walls, and the platform is fucking tiny. If they hadn't shown that woman peering out of a trap door, it would have seemed that that staircase leads to literally nothing.
0: It is extremely Chekhov's staircase. Uh, Another fun fact about the filmmaking, because we've talked a lot about this, is that they took a bunch of wires, I think some of which you can see, and they strapped those to the interior rod so that the thing was safe, but it could like wrestle about a little bit. But they had to get the director up on the staircase because all the actors were like, no, 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 nope, not going up it.
1: I definitely thought during that that must have been the worst thing to film.
0: Fuck yeah. Oh my god. That girl's running around a set with bare feet for a long time. And I can only speak to theater sets, but there are screws everywhere. We never cleaned up when I was on set crew. (laughs)
1: We've skipped to the end, but we should talk about, like, the initial Mm -hmm. hauntings that happen. We've got the first big bang to discuss uh, when Eleanor is just alone in her room trying to have a nice night. I know I said at at the front that they were talking about this being a more, like,
0: psychological profile of Eleanor, but God, that thing where she wakes up when there's
1: literally shit going down and she's just like, Mom, I can't right now is, like, so much... On the one hand, I wish there had been more of that, and on the other hand, I think that that would have distracted from the real crux of the movie, which is what's going on with these bangs.
0: But that's what I like about this movie, is that Theo at one point calls her out for an over-aggrandized sense of self, and I think Eleanor does have one because she wants and is waiting for something to happen to her. And so it's never clear to me watching this movie how much of this is the house deciding on Eleanor so much as Eleanor choosing the house. And I think that part is legitimately interesting as like a a piece of psychological exploration as a film.
1: Yeah, to that point, I will say that another thing that just generally doesn't work for me in film is a ton of voiceover. And Eleanor communicates almost everything through voiceover. The conversations she has with other people are inconsequential start to finish. She maybe has two interactions that actually convey important information.
0: I mean, that's good because they are strangers and they are all up in each other's business in a way that's inappropriate. So good for her for keeping at least something to herself, but please go on.
1: Sure. But that means that the only way to understand the relationship between Eleanor and the house is for her to tell us directly by VO with her thoughts things like when she wakes up and she thinks that it's her mother banging that's like a really interesting subtle way to give a character detail that she's still stuck in that time where she's taking care of her mother but there aren't other ways that we get subtle interactions that tell what's happening it's either directly stated or opaque
0: oh i don't know a line that has stuck with me since i watched this maybe i was like 16, maybe when I saw this movie for the first time. It has always stuck with me the next morning after the first haunting when Eleanor is talking to Marquay and she says that she always makes a point to sleep on her left side because it wears out the heart faster. It's at that point that Marquay should send her home. Like, that is not a well thought from a well woman.
1: No, there's never an indicator that Eleanor is up to this. I don't know why he ever even invited her.
0: And that's, I think, one of the things that kind of goes into the thesis that you put forward at the beginning of like, is Markway fucking with these people or maybe more specifically Eleanor? Because, I mean, he's kind of the real villain of this piece, right? It seems weird to me that like no blame is ever put upon Crane or put upon Markway for A, the rot of the house or B, the situation that they have all found themselves in. It's all abigail's fault or the caregiver's fault or theo and eleanor's fault and i think what i'm saying is sexism
1: oh yeah there's plenty of that here this was a movie (laughs) released in 1963
0: Mm -hmm. we haven't talked about the statue did you care about the statue i fucking hate that thing
1: I disliked every bit of this. They start by tormenting Eleanor about dancing with the statue and whether she can dance or not. And it seems, again, pointed. I was like, oh, they're coaxing her into some sort of ritual like it's Rosemary's baby. It was dumb and mean. Why? I don't know. They do all seem to sort of get off on fucking
0: with Eleanor. Maybe aside from Luke, who, again, I don't think interacts with her. (laughs) The thing I noticed this time is that at the end of that scene, they zoom in on the image of what is supposed to be Abigail and also Eleanor. And there is a hand on her right breast. And it's not clear if it's hers or if it's the woman standing directly behind her. It's a very interesting image. I went back and looked, and there's definitely like a hand on a boob. And I was like, oh, lesbians again.
1: <laughs> the statue was another one too that was like, Do we have a sense of when this was put there or why? Well, Luke says this wasn't on the inventory list. Are we saying that the house manifested a statue of Crane and the other people who died? Well, Crane didn't die there even. So where the fuck did the statue come from? What does it matter? Why is there a dog? I don't know. It's real creepy, though. You should have watched this movie when you were 16. You would have been just
0: weeping like I was, basically. Though, I did get to hold the hand of the boy that I liked at the time. So this movie also is like, you know, maybe in there because he grabbed my hand because he was scared. I'm so
1: happy for you both. (laughs) It's like,
0: (laughs) for all I know, this is a shitty movie. And it's not because Scorsese and Spielberg both agree with me and not with you. But I feel like there's a little part of my lizard brain that's just like, this movie, maybe sex.
1: Do we know if Spielberg and Scorsese were holding hands when they watched it?
0: I don't know that they weren't
1: lesbians. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ, where are we at? Um, Do you just want to go to this? Oh, you're driving this car. Go.
0: Wow. What a thing to say when Eleanor drives a car straight into a tree.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. Did you think that this was going somewhere good?
0: (laughs) I mean, hopefully not with my sudden and imminent death. Okay, so I had one question. So there's that scene where, again, a super horny scene where Eleanor is talking about someone jumping from a window and then she backs up over the balcony and the camera zooms in and this was like one of the big pieces of filmmaking. She almost falls off the balcony and Marquai catches her. Whose death were we going over?
1: Maybe the dog? <laughs> <laughs> We just don't have a lot of details on that dog.
0: (laughs) That statue is supposed to be of St. Francis of Assisi. (laughs) Yeah, the weird thing is that we are not told a story about someone jumping from a window and hanging on or whatever and then dropping to their death. So I'm not sure, like, why that happens to Eleanor. In fact, I remember being younger and thinking that that was how Eleanor was going to maybe die, was like jumping out a window, that she was like foreshadowing her own death. But no.
1: My two theories are that there is backstory that I missed because we are so front loaded with shit like that, that I lost some of it. Or B, that there was a death in the book that that parallels that was cut, but they still kept the moment because it was cinematically interesting to watch.
0: Good point. That's probably it. We also then
1: pass straight
0: into... What happens <laughs>
1: is we first have to deal with another, like, wall banging session.
0: No, this one is more of a wallpaper with old man chanting situation. Mm, yes. This one always really gets me. Like, I am someone who, like, looks for faces and things. Like, that's just how my brain is wired. And that's why I think I'm kind of a scaredy cat. I could see the artifice in it because I did purchase the HD version of this movie, which I'm not mad about. I'm glad to have it on hand. But what a great piece of filmmaking. Like, you just zoom in on this thing of wallpaper and all of a sudden you realize there's like an eye there. I love that.
1: That was effective. If I saw it in a creepy old house myself, I'd be more scared than watching someone else experience it. I think my main issue with this sequence, though, was that Eleanor seems most concerned with, oh, my God. He's abusing that child, but he and the child are both dead. It's not happening in the moment. Yeah, I think by this
0: point, the
1: walls are starting to
0: crack a little bit for Eleanor because, you know, we're only one haunting away from her giving herself willingly over to the house functionally. So you're not wrong, but I think there's also a piece where like, I don't think Eleanor is really able to tell reality from hauntings anymore.
1: Yeah, I guess this was just a sequence where we're watching Eleanor's decline and we're watching what is scary to her. But I wasn't personally in a house losing my mind and I wasn't really relating to her that hard. So it just felt like, wow, she's really going through it.
0: Yeah, I think you're pointing to something really smart there, which is I think that the entire haunting only happens to Eleanor. And I think that this is where the movie starts to switch and be about Eleanor's mental decline, where she's going to give herself over to the house, because none of this happens to Theo at all, and nothing happens to the the guys either.
1: And I found the hand-holding thing deeply unfulfilling, because as you pointed out, there is an indicator there that whatever this entity is can get through doors.
0: I think, as it is often a mistake to overanalyze films, I think maybe analyzing horror movies is particularly stupid. Because I'm now just coming up with explanations on the fly to explain this movie to you, and that's not what I experience when I watch it, which is just like, oh shit, there's someone holding her hand, and it's not Theo.
1: She's not even in the same bed. Standards and practices wouldn't allow for it. She looked down her hand, she was like, the Hays Code! <laughs> <laughs> What's next in this film?
0: Well... Horrifically, Eleanor calling out Theo for being gay. So we'll just move past that since we already discussed it. <laughs> 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 so what's so next next is Grace, uh, Marquet's wife arriving. Um, Eleanor, you saying the nursery? What a bitch.
1: It was a deeply unsympathetic thing. And I know Eleanor is going through her own mental struggles right now. But like actions have consequences. It felt like a real turning point where I was like, oh, I'm no longer here for this character.
0: I mean, in fairness, aside from the charm of Russ Tamblin's performance, none of these characters are particularly likable. Like, Theo's a kind of a bitch. Luke is mendacious. Markway puts people in danger. And Eleanor, while she is having mental health challenges, is screaming at people and being pretty wild.
1: Yeah, that's another issue is that usually in a horror movie, you are worried about who will die. And if any of these people had been swallowed into the earth at any point, it would have been a relief. Wow. (laughs) So
0: I had never noticed this detail before, but apparently facing Abigail's bed as she grew up and then grew old, there's three times suffer little children, suffer little children, suffer little children which the Bible quote is suffer the little children, which is about how like, you should give kids a lot of patience because like, you know, they belong to the Lord. And like, so therefore, like, you should be nice to them. Feels like there was a comma in there. And I can't imagine what growing up with just that phrase being repeated at you over and over again would have been like.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's telling that as she aged into her like 80s, it never dawned on her to just paint that over or indeed to get rid of the conservatively six or seven cradles that are still in that room for some fucking reason
0: oh my god why are there so many cradles in there there was only one kid
1: is there even the bed that we saw her lying in when she was old? Like, did she die? And they were like, let's cut this bed down and make it into baby furniture again. Like, what's happening?
0: Anyway, apparently Abigail's the problem and none of us know why. They've moved the other two girls down to the study. And the guys are supposed to take various turns patrolling the floor that Grace is on. But Russ Hamlin just has to have a drink. This is also a very drinky movie.
1: Yeah, the drink thing didn't make... Sense in that he could have brought the bottle with him, also, I didn't really know what they thought patrolling was gonna do again. this is another one of those things where like I don't know what we're afraid of in this moment.
0: I think where we are not aligned in what is scary to us is that in the same way that I sometimes like very random humor, maybe I also like very random horror where like. I sort of like that the rules are not clear to the people to whom this is occurring. It creeps me out that there is something so strong outside the door that it can almost push the door in but can't turn the doorknob. Because what is that? And the movie doesn't show you. And that, to me, the thing on the other side of the door is scary.
1: I guess I didn't feel that way because I was (laughs) 0% scared throughout this film can't
0: believe it all right well people who are scared include grace who has gone missing after her interlude we never really know what happens to her and at that point eleanor gives herself over fully to the house and she runs through various rooms eventually ending in the library Uh, we've already gone over the going up and down the stairs we see grace and good god at long last they decide to send eleanor the fuck home which they should have done after night one
1: (laughs) Oh, everyone should have left. This whole trip to the house was a waste.
0: I don't know. I mean, he could be like, yep, there's ghosts. We gotta go. I've lost my wife and the police are going to show up soon.
1: (laughs) Side note, did anyone call the police?
0: No, but he's just very concerned that if they don't find his wife, the police will eventually get involved. That is the full extent of his concern.
1: (laughs) I mean... Luckily, he knows that they won't come until daybreak. I believe that the caretaker was very clear that no one comes in the dark. In the night. (laughs) In the dark. (laughs) (laughs) So they're safe till sunup.
0: From the police, but notably not from the house, which again is the real
1: problem here. Yes, you can't even drive away from it. It steers her car.
0: That is the the side that the movie ultimately comes down on, is that something is occurring and that this is not all something that Eleanor is fabricating
1: unless she is driving with her knees which is a possibility or the car is just malfunctioning but it seems very clear that something has taken control of her steering wheel and driven her into a tree that Mrs. Markway is very implausibly running behind
0: There is a point at which the movie stops being interested in anyone else but Eleanor. I think it's in the third haunting when they're trying to block the door. And then it's just about, you know, resolving what happens for Eleanor because she is our protagonist. But giving Grace the cop out of like, who knows, is very funny.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's like none of the other characters care about where she is. Now even she doesn't care where she is. She's like, I just pop up (laughs) wherever So
0: the movie then closes with the aforementioned voiceover from Eleanor, indicating that she is now among the spirits that haunt Hill House. So Chris, final thoughts? I mean, you've made them pretty clear.
1: Oh yeah, this was a snooze fest. I will never watch this again. I'm sorry.
0: You know, I kind of got that vibe from your text when you are just like, I watched it last night. I was like, "Mm, okay. So my final thoughts differ. I didn't really enjoy watching it critically, but I don't think that that will diminish my joy of watching this movie, especially with a group of people, because I think it's a fun experience of that vibe of, I don't know, going to see The Ring in a big theater or something, where like, because fear can be infectious, and when one person starts getting scared, then kind of everybody gets scared – I love this movie. I think it's a fun piece of filmmaking. I think it's got some strong performances, especially from Harris and especially from Mrs. Dudley. (laughs) And I've loved this movie since I was 16. And I don't care what you think, Chris, because (laughs) Steven Spielberg and Martin Scorsese, the most famous lesbian couple (laughs) in America,
1: (laughs) think it's great.
0: And I hear they're also good filmmakers, so I'm going to take their word for it.
1: Well, on that note, we will now move on to another film. What do you got for me? So we're moving away from Halloween, and now it's Thanksgiving time. And that means that we will be watching 1995's Home for the Holidays, which you will be happy to know brings us back into the warm embrace of Holly Hunter.
0: You know, it's been 50-50 for me with Holly Hunter on this podcast.
1: I feel like this is going to tip us into sixty-six thirty-three territory. I mean, it will either way. I guess we'll just see which way the 66 leans.
0: <laughs> is this that one? Is Claire Danes in it?
1: She sure is.
0: Okay. Well, I mean, that's already like positive. I'm an Angela Chase aficionado.
1: All right. Well, if you want to figure out if the 66% is thumbs up or thumbs down, then join us in two weeks for Home for the Holidays. Bye-bye. We'll see you then. This other man corroborates it. We both chased an invisible dog.